right, good evening. We're going to continue our our doctrine series. Uh, last week we covered basically a, an introduction to doctrine and what it is, why it's important, why we have it, uh, how why it's important to to live it out. Tonight we're actually going to get into these these kind of core doctrines of the faith. Um, there's really four of them, or three of them. I'm sorry. There's the Word of God, the Person of God, and the Work of God. Tonight we're going to be covering the the Word of God, so we're going to be looking at the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, when it comes to Scripture, we, we believe that this is the Word of God that is, it has been revealed to us. But here's the thing. Uh, Christianity is not the only religion to claim revelation from God. We, we're not alone in this. There, there's many, many different religions that claim that they have the Word of God. So how do we know that this is the true word of God? Uh, the Bible possesses a unique, a kind of a uniqueness that, that sets it apart from all these other religious texts. Um, the Bible was written over many centuries by a variety of authors, yet it stands as one unified book. And if you want to go back and listen, we've actually covered this in previous messages about the, the reliability of Scripture and understanding the Bible. Uh, those are on our, our podcast, the, the YouTube, and Facebook. So we've, we've covered the Bible. You know, we, we've kind of went in depth when it comes to the Word of God because it is so important for us to understand. So the Bible has been confirmed by very historical, archaeological authors or discoveries as well as the way that it speaks eloquently and, and truthfully about human nature and the human experience. So all of these, these lines of evidence bear witness to the Bible as God's written revelation to humanity, and it, it is the true word of God of the one true God. Like, if you believe that, we have to be able to back this up, right? So this is why doctrine is so important. This is why the doctrine of Scripture is so important, that we be able to back up what we're talking about. Not only back it up, but to live by it. You know, like we, we talked about last week, it's one thing to, pro to profess something as, as just saying, yeah, I believe it. But when we say I believe it, it's more than just saying it. Like we actually live this thing out. And when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture, we're going to unfold four key areas when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture. First, it's going to be the revelation. Second, it is going to be the interpretation. Third, it's going to be the inerrancy. And fourth, it's going to be the attributes of Scripture. So first we have, the first point we have here, the revelation. Now, revelation refers to that which has been revealed. In, in this context that we're talking about, it is that which has been, that which God has made known. So in, in talking about this message from God, we're going to go look at Peter. We're going to look at Peter and, and Paul. But first, we're going to go to Peter. In 2 Peter 1.16, Peter is insisting that he and the other apostles did not follow cleverly devised myths. Okay, so when they presented Christ, they did not uh, follow cleverly devised myths when they presented Jesus. So Peter is, is contrasting the, 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 the way things were back then. Okay? So, 
how things were back then. You got to think that they were in Roman times. They were in the, the Greek times. They, they were in a, they were in a time. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they had many different gods. Uh, they had a god basically for everything. They had a god for food. They had a god for the moon. They had a god for the sun. They had a god for the grass. They had a god for infertility. They had a god for everything. And sometimes they had to worship multiple gods at one time to get what they wanted or to think that they were going to get what they wanted. They had to make sacrifices. They had to do all these things just to try to get their God's attention. But Peter is saying, we did not do this. Okay, well, we did not have to do this. Those religions uh, of the Roman and Greek time they had to follow clever myths, and it was these myths that was derived or thought of by man. So it was, it was humans trying to describe the ways and the wills of their God. So here's the thing. God's revelation is top down, meaning that it comes from him to us. Theirs was bottom up. It came from them about, about the gods. So here, here's what our faith does, with it being a top-down, from him to us. It's pointing the way back up to him as the source of all truth. Now, theologians divide revelation into two categories. We have general revelation, and then we have special revelation. General revelation reveals and refers to what can be known about God universally through his creation. And we see in Romans chapter 1 that Paul asserts that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, Romans 1.20. If you go to the book of Psalms, he also adds, the psalmist adds, the heavens declare the glory of the God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Psalms 19 verses 1 through 6. So creation reveals the creator. So we are a standing, we're standing as a testimony to the presence and the goodness of God. So this generally, this general revelation is available to all people at all times. And through this revelation, it is true that sin distorts what we see in creation. Romans chapter 1 tells us all about that, that sin distorts what we see in creation. General revelation stands as, as a witness to God. Yet, general revelation has its limitations. So what does that mean? It means that it teaches us about God the Creator, but not about God the Redeemer. God has given us His Word, but He also has given us His world. So He's given us the world, but He's also given us His Word which proclaims his work of redemptions. So God's general revelation is open to all and is present in creation. However, God's special revelation is, is specifically directed to the individuals or groups and is presented through God's supernatural intervention. The redemption power of God. This revelation. The special revelation. So there are, there's a lot of different types and they vary when it comes to special revelation. One example is scripture speaks of prophets and prophetess, men and women entrusted with the special word of God. And God speaks in, in visions. He speaks in dreams. 
And even though, even through object, objects, I mean, he used a donkey one time. Urim and, and Thurim. No, you heard. In, in Exodus 28, 30, that, 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 that's, that's not the animal part, that's the objects part. But then there's the, the animal part, you know, the donkey in Numbers 22, 28. Like he used a donkey to speak. Why? Because the prophet just would not do what he was supposed to do. So miracles are another type of special revelation. And then there is the Bible. So there's God's authoritative and direct revelation of himself and his plan of redemption. So God preserved his word that was written by man throughout many, many centuries, about 1,600 years. God preserved his word in, in 66 books of the Bible with every word pointing to Christ. So why Christ? Because Christ is the perfect and ultimate revelation of God, of his glory, grace, and truth. That is why. So that in pointing to Christ, the one who is called the Word, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Hebrew author, the, the author of Hebrews declares that long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who he has appointed the heir of all things, through, all, through whom also he created the world. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. And again, John 1, John 1, 14, John writes that, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Christ is this perfect and ultimate revelation of God. God revealed himself through the Son, revealed his mercy, revealed his grace, revealed his love, now, there is another side to God. There is that judge, that judge, that, that judge God that, that has wrath, who has anger, who has indignation, that there's two sides to God. But because of Jesus, we're, we are able, like once we repent of our sins and believe in him and trust in him and make him Lord, we are able to fall under that mercy, love, and grace. So Christ is the final and ultimate word of and from God. And he makes God known. Jesus reveals the Father. So he reveals God. In order to read the Bible as God intended, we have to picture Christ at the very center of the, Bible, of the Bible with every part pointing and following and leading to him. We covered that too in, in the reliability of Scripture, how everything points to Christ. Not every, not every verse has Jesus' name in it, but every passage points to him. So the doctrine of, of revelation reminds us that God wants to be known. That God wants to be known, and he has made himself known in his word and in, in the world. And he has made himself known by coming in the flesh and walking and living among us. That is the revelation. That is the revelation of God. Next we have point number two, the inspiration. So in the inspiration, referring to the Bible as the word of God expresses a, a crucial doctrine of inspiration. How do, how do we know this? How do we see this? 2 Timothy 3.16 declares that all scripture is breathed out by God. The word breathed out has also been translated 
as inspired. So that's where we get the term inspiration. So Peter adds that the Holy Spirit plays a unique role within the Godhead or the Trinity, however you want to say it. But he plays a, a unique role in the Godhead in this activity of inspiration. For he writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 So the Holy Spirit is the one who was doing the speaking. Think of it this way. You pick up a pen and you write something down. You inspired it, but the pen wrote it, right? Okay, It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit, we are the pen. The Holy Spirit is the one who is holding the pen. So the result of that is that the Bible is both a divine and a human book, and God uses human authors with their, their, their own personalities, their own styles, their own characteristics, their own faults, failures, or whatever. He uses all of that to give us his word. And in return, inspiration can be, can be defined in this way. That God superintended human authors in the composing of his revelation in a way that utilized the author's personality and ensured the exact and true recording of every word. So this view of inspiration means that the words of the Bible are inspired by God and all of the Bible. Every part is inspired by God and that all of the Bible, every part of it, is true. And this is known as the verbal, uh, the verbal view of inspiration. A lot of people will argue this. Like, well, if man wrote the Bible, how can we believe it? If man, did it, it's been translated so many times, something had to be lost in translation, and blah, 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 blah. The Bible is the only book in human history that has withstood, we've covered this, again, we've already covered this, but it, it, this book is the only one that has withstood persecution, banning, it, it has withstood time. Like This is the only book. So to our third point, as people question and have these questions, it leads us to our third point of the inerrancy of Scripture. The word inerrancy means without error. So applied to the Bible, this means not only that it is free from errors, but it is also that the Bible is fully and absolute truthful, in it, and, and it affirms in the original text. So why is it necessary to, to, to add original text or autographs or, or manuscripts? Why is it important to, to include the original part? This is added to be careful that we do not treat manuscripts or translations no matter how good they might be, as inerrant. This does not mean that the manuscripts and the translations that we use today are not to be trusted. Manuscripts are, are consistently being reevaluated. Okay? Constantly being reevaluated, further studied, in an effort to get as close to the original ones as possible. We humbly acknowledge the, the limitations of, of our copies and translations, but we also strive for accuracy when it comes to studying out these texts. The authority of Scripture requires one thing of us, joyful submission as we recognize its claim on all aspects of our life. 
So the doctrine of inspiration and, and inerrancy offers us a place to stand as we seek, as we seek to understand what life is all about. I mean, how many of us have been there? Like, how many of us have, have sat and wondered, what, what, what's the point of all this? What, what's the point of life? Why am I here? What's the point of, of suffering? What's the point of joy? What, what, what's the point of, of existing? I think we've all experienced that, that, that spot in our life. These doctrines, though, these help us. The, these doctrines point beyond ourselves to the answers of life's most pressing questions. And these doctrines point us to God. So when we ask, what is the point? It's God. He is the point. He is the point of creation. He is the point of our existence. He is the point. So theolog theologians also speak of the attributes of Scripture. And... And they're summarized in, in, in five key attributes. This brings us to our final point. There's five key attributes of, of Scripture. Because God is the ultimate authority and standard in the universe, and because the Bible is God's word, we hold on to the authority of Scripture. The prophetic books repeatedly use phrases, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The prophet does not appeal to his own authority. Instead, he steps aside appealing to God's authority. The authority of Scripture requires one thing of us. One thing. Submission. Joyful submission as we recognize its claims on, on all of our aspects of life. This can be hard. <laughs> Because we want to live life one way, our flesh and our sin wants to live one way, and God's like, yeah, I need you to live this way. It is hard, especially when we consider how, how powerful the voices in culture that compete for our attention are. Not to mention how powerful our, our flesh can be at times. But God's word alone stands as the ultimate authority. And if we desire to obey and love God, then we must obey his word. You can't love God and disobey his word. The necessity of Scripture means that this is necessary to understand God's will and His plan of salvation. Paul explains in Romans chapter 10 that those who will be saved are those who have believed, and those who have believed have heard the gospel, and they have heard the gospel because someone has explained it to them. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. So they have heard because someone told them. The word of God is indispensable to, to, to knowing the will of God in the way of salvation. You cannot have salvation without first having his word. The Bible teaches us far more than the way of salvation. Like There's, there's more to this than, than salvation. In fact, the Bible says before us in the words of Peter, in 2 Peter, 2, in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, all things that pertain to life and good and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness is in, is in Scripture. Peter says that we would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word as a lamp shining in a dark place. Verse 119. 
we learn from general revelation that we that we need that knowledge but scripture provides all that we need to know this is known as the sufficiency of scripture this is encouraging we can easily become overloaded with data and feel over overwhelmed and overcome in in a quest to obtain this like it, it can get pretty heavy sometimes when we're trying to read and understand the word of god it, it's easy to do that but we cannot neglect god's word because it seems overwhelming psalms 119 verse 105 says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path the clarity of scripture means that scripture can be understood it can be understood. There's no decoding that has to happen. It's not required to understand it. God revealed his word in a common language of that time. Yes, the Bible was re written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. But we still need teachers, but anyone can lead and read, but anyone can read and lead and gain a basic understanding of God's word. Anybody can do that. Anybody can have a basic understanding of God's word. What is especially clear in scripture is God's plan of salvation. From, from Genesis to Revelation, it is clear that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our, in our place for our sin. So in addition to scripture's authority, necessity, and, suf and sufficiency, and clarity we cannot we can't forget about this one thing it's often neglected it's often forgot about we cannot forget about this one thing and that is the beauty of scripture the bible is a beautiful work of art we have to consider the poetry and, and the intense imagery of the prophets okay, we have to observe the eloquence of, of paul or, or the or the narratives of the historical books. Like we have to think about things like this. This is a work of art. You know, God could have merely given us bullet points. He could have gave us one page, and this is it. Instead, He gave us a a, a literary masterpiece from start to finish. He could have just given us the short version of it, but he said, you know what? I, I want you to know the full story. I want you to know everything. The doctrine of Scripture should fill us with gratitude because God did not leave us alone in the world grasping and, and hopelessly wandering in the dark. He gave us something to guide us. He gave us a lot. He gave us his word as a lot for our path. And our gratitude should drive us to study his word, to treasure it, to, to submit to it, and to obey to it. And as we continue to develop our, our, our doctrine of scripture, we have to read and we have to study Psalms 119. And we have to pay attention to how the psalmist views the word and also how the, how the word transforms the psalmist. So we started with God's word, the doctrine of scripture. Next week, we're going to look at 
God himself. We're going to look at the doctrines of the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I thank you. Again, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the revelation of your word. I thank you for the inspiration and the inerrancy of your word. Father, Father, I thank you for giving it to us. That even though life comes at us from, from many different directions, that you have given us an outline, you have given us a guide so that we don't wondrously walk around wondering what's next or how, or how to fix a problem. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.